Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is just a reminder that everything on the podcast is intended to be informational, educational, and entertaining. This is no way a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic process. If you find yourself in need of more direct support, please reach out for professional help. Or if you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or call 911. Hey everybody, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you are listening to the Labors of Love podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with me. She is the Cultural and Linguistic Competence Coordinator for Journey to Successful Living and the co-founder of Youth at the Center. I have Tanisha Worthy with me. So hi, Tanisha. Hi, LaShonda. All right, so I'm just going to jump in. And I am going to say that we are recording this podcast kind of in the midst of pandemic 2020. So while uh, Tanisha is here with us on the podcast, she is joining us via telephone and video call. So I just want to, one, talk about how I, I appreciate technology and its, a, its ability to give us the flexibility um, that we need to still get the job done, even if it's in a different way. So Tanisha, welcome. Thanks for having me. I am so glad that you're here. So we're going to jump in and I'm going to start by asking you what I ask all of my guests when they come on. And that is, what is your labor of love? Okay. So my labor of love is helping young people be successful. I am passionate about listening to young people. I'm passionate about helping them transition successfully to adulthood and just understanding the barriers that they face and helping them develop tools to overcome them. Okay. So I love that. Your your heart <clears throat> and your labor of love is geared towards the youth. Hearing them, seeing them, understanding them, and then equipping them essentially with tools that they need for success. So tell us a little bit about how that became a labor of love. Um, Why is that important to you? That is a really good question, because if you would have told me this would be my labor of love many, many, many years ago, I would have been like, I don't even like kids. (laughs) But um, (laughs) it turns out that not, not only do I like them, I love them. And to be clear, I love teenagers and young adults. The other children are awesome. They're fine. But my <laughs> my group, the ones that I aim to serve are, I would say, like 15 and up, 15 to like 24. That's my sweet spot. Mm-hmm. I resonate with that <laughs> all the time. 14 and up for me. Everybody else is cool. I mean, my kids are, don't even fall in that category. But you and I relate definitely on that. <laughs> How I came to feel passionately is because I had people invest in me and show up in times during my life where I didn't really know who I was or I felt really alone or I just felt lost. And in 
these people would show up. Um, and so as I got older and I worked in different youth serving organizations and saw what was happening um, with young people, I could really relate to them. Um, where I work at Lighthouse Youth and Family Services, I used to work in the shelter. And so Lighthouse has the only shelter for youth in ages, um, I think 12 to 17 in Cincinnati. And people would come in who had been abused, neglected, who are experiencing homelessness and various trauma. And we would do intakes and people would tell me these stories and not all of the stories I could relate to, but what I could always connect to was needing someone or desiring someone to see them and help them. And so um, that wrecked my heart. And so that's how I try to show up for young people in the world. Yeah, I think that that's a lot of people's stories. Sometimes they they had a path that they thought they may have taken, but then along life something happens and they're like, wow, this is this is not where I thought I was going to be. But hey, this is where I am now. And, you know, it sounds like kind of maybe it happened before then, but definitely the work at the shelter kind of introduced you to this world of youth needing people that you hadn't experienced before. How does that show up? So I hear you like to listen to young people. You like to give them tools, help them successfully transition um, into adulthood and things like that. So how does that show up in your life? What do you do and in what ways do you make those things happen? So there are two distinct ways, but they actually overlap. So in my role at Journey, we work with young people who are what we call transition age youth. These are young people who are between the ages of 14 and 21, and they have severe mental health challenges. So they are either at a place where they are going to be transitioning to living on their own soon, or they have transitioned, but they weren't adequately prepared before the transition happened. And so I try to connect with young people to understand what what is going on and what do you need. Um, and then I try to create programming that helps fill those gaps. So that's what I do in my work with young people through Journey. With Youth at the Center, um, we believe that young people should be seen, heard, and valued. And so we kind of flip that old adage that young people should be seen and not heard. And we are like, absolutely not. Young people should be heard because so many decisions are made about young people, absent young people's voice. Mm -hmm. And so how can you really know what you think should happen for a young person is what indeed should happen if you never ask them what they need and what they value. And so what it looks like with youth at the center is that we create spaces for young people to come together and to talk about the things that are important to them. And then we equip them with the tools that they need to 
show up in the spaces that they want to show up in. So, for example, um, we plan a citywide youth summit every year that happens in November, and it's billed as for youth by youth. And so we ask young people, what are the things that you care enough about to get involved in? And then what do you need in order to get involved? And so we, over the course of many months, meet with them twice a month and in other ways if necessary. And we help them build skills and implement an event. And then beyond the events, um, at the event, we ask them, so what do you really want to change or what do you really want to focus on and have and, and build momentum towards changing? And so after the annual youth, um, youth summit, we have what's called the Young Not Silent Action Team, and they work very specifically and intentionally on something that they're passionate about. And so last year, they were interested in talking about depression and anxiety and they essentially had a screening of a, of a documentary about suicide and then they led conversations with adult leaders educators um other people who work with young people to kind of talk about from their perspective why suicide had increased in cincinnati and why depression and anxiety was a big deal for young people at the time. So I'm a facilitator and an organizer of young people. Yeah. That's how I would describe what I do. I like that. I love that, actually. Um, some things that I heard that were so important <clears throat> is how is it possible for adults to make decisions for youth for what they need if they're not actually asking the youth, what do you need? And I think along the journey of uh, life for many adults, they forget what it was like to be a youth. Um, in some ways, I think they forget. I think sometimes as adults, we can forget um, what it felt like to not have our voices heard. But I also think that some of us don't forget and why the biggest challenge um, that, you know, you face and, and I face in helping to work with youth is that the adults haven't forgotten what happened. And what that means is they didn't have a voice as an adolescent. They weren't given agency. So voice, choice, and control. People didn't ask them, what do you need and what's important to you? And so they go on and they carry forth the same um, mentality and processes that happen with them into adulthood. So I see it as a family therapist, as people are raising their children um, to major things happen while there's something in between it's either a person raises their child pretty much just like they've been raised right so the same behavior patterns worldviews belief systems are directly passed down to their children um, for various reasons maybe they hold that these things are valuable or they just don't know how to change them or uh, a parent may endeavor to say i will never do that to my children I will never treat them that way. I will never do this. But without very specific intentionality and help to do something different, it may look different, but they end up doing the same thing that was done to them. And so what I love about Journey and Youth at the Center and the things you're leading is you're not just saying, I want things to be different. 
and then thinking you can do the same things and it's going to be different because you want them to be, but you are doing things differently. And so that I can appreciate. I don't know. Um, I was involved in some leadership things growing up, but I can't recall many times where myself and other youth led it. People thought they were doing a big deal by letting us participate, period. Like that was their way of saying, we care about you. You get to participate in the things we've created. Or they take a token youth or two and put them on a committee and they get to sit there and listen to all the adults do what they do and get to be asked an opinion every once in a while. But the difference that I can genuinely say is you're sitting down and equipping the young people to make these decisions. I've also seen people say, well, we'll let the youth lead it, but then they don't give them the skills to lead. And then they say, well, we tried. It just didn't work. They're not good leaders. <laughs> they're, they're not equipped. So the balance of equipping while being there with them, I think is so, so very important. So with these events that you, um, you strategize and put together, can you tell us the names of them and a little bit about them so that, you know, the listeners can know what kind of awesome things are happening around Cincinnati for youth? Absolutely. So I lead the, um, lead or co-lead the planning and implementation of three, um, big events. The first is the ask me who I am conference on youth culture. That conference would have actually happened today if uh, coronavirus wasn't out here. Um, True story. Like the reason we're doing the podcast today is because (laughs) our schedule was available because we should have been at the Ask Me Who I Am conference that I was actually keynoting this year, which I was very, very excited about. But since we had the availability, I still will. Thank you. Uh, But since we had the availability... (laughs) on our calendar you know here we are okay sorry go ahead yes so the conference on youth culture it really tries to bring together well not tries we bring together young people and people who serve young people and we do this because we want people who are serving young people to hear from young people who they are and what matters to them and the only way to do that is to really ask them who they are Um, we also want young people to be in a position to speak honestly and openly about the honestly and openly about the experiences that they have with educators youth serving professionals case managers parents in terms of what actually is or isn't helpful in hopes that people will hear that and say, okay, how do I adapt what I am doing, how I'm engaging in order to actually serve young people in a meaningful way? And so the conference brings together all of these people and we have workshops. Our workshops are longer than a a traditional 45-minute workshop because, again, we're really all about equipping. And so how do you get some information and then understand how to apply that information in the context that you're working in and also be informed by young people who are in this space. We um, have experts in various fields, trauma, brain, adolescent brain development, um, trending things that are going on in communities. So some big things that are happening right now in Cincinnati, human trafficking, um, youth homelessness, um, the increase in youth suicide. We have 
workshops or speakers who can speak to those things and provide tangible tools for people to take away and apply immediately in their um, spheres, whether they're parents, caregivers, case managers, or whatever. Um, so that's a full day. Um, and people have always felt at the end of it that they have learned something. And I've even seen people kind of sitting with their teams like, oh, yeah, that was good. We need to take this back. So people really have good feedback about it. And it's something that's really unique in the city because it really is trying to bring these people together at the same time to connect with each other, listen, and learn from each other. The other event that I plan is called Independent City. And Independent City is really cool because it's a simulation. It gives young people a day in the life experience where they practice what it means to live on their own under some very intense pressures <laughs> and um, <laughs> unforeseen and also consequences driven by choices that they make. So young people, um, we do this event usually in the summer and young people get an identity. They may be, they may have a high school diploma, they may not. They may have some college education, they may not. They may be unemployed or unemployed or they may work full or part time. They may have children or a criminal record and all of these things impact the experience that they will have. Um, they, we create a, we create a city and they go and interact with various stations. Um, we have a employment station, a housing station, a transportation station, and so many more stations, but they're essentially trying to navigate systems. If I need employment, how do I interview? What does it mean if I have a crim criminal record? Does that still, um, allow me to get a job or am I limited to the types of jobs I can get because of laws that limit people with criminal backgrounds um, from working somewhere. We, um, when they have children, they have to decide, wow, childcare is expensive. So do I try to take this baby with me everywhere I go or do I try to find childcare and how much does that cost? How much does that impact other things? Can I afford a car and childcare or can I afford groceries? So they really have to make some decisions and live with the consequences of those decisions. And it's a very high energy, chaotic space. Um, but young people tell us that they really get a glimpse of what it's like and what their parents are doing or have had to do to make ends meet or to care for them. Um, when we get our evaluations, they always talk about, man, my mom, I can't believe my mom has had to, to do stuff like this. Or they are like, yeah, I'm definitely not having kids because <laughs> they are expensive. Um, and we want that. We want them to understand these decisions that are made or these things that we these circumstances that we are in they impact 
our trajectories. And so we can learn from them now in this very safe space where failure is encouraged and it doesn't really cost you anything because this is all fake money and just really well-meaning people who want to hang out with you for Mm -hmm, the day. mm -hmm. Um, And if you can learn some of these lessons now and make different decisions moving forward, perhaps you can have a different experience because you understand some of the pitfalls that are, that are, that that come with some of the things that you might decide. And so another really quick uh, story is uh, one of the things that we had within the simulation that we put in um, was we put in a casino. Initially we didn't have very many things that were kind of like enticements. Uh, because we just wanted young people to be like, you need to live somewhere, you need to work somewhere, you need to have food. And on our feedback, we heard, this isn't real. If I really needed some money, I would just go to the casino. That's what my mama do. And I was like, okay. And so this isn't as realistic because we make choices all the time. There are so many enticements. When I get an email from DSW, do I buy these shoes (laughs) or do I save Right. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and so as, as adults, as people who have to make choices all the time, it wasn't realistic to not have those types of things in this space. And so not only did we add a casino, but we added a retail store and we have displays of like Jordans and tattoos and nail. And it is fascinating to see the decisions that are made, the justifications for those decisions and you know, what, what, what is happening in the minds of young people. And so we learn a lot from them. They learn a lot from the experience and it is a fun time. It is like, yeah, well, the thing about independent city, I just want to say is, you know, I sat on the planning committee for that for many years. And what I can appreciate on the back end is how intentional we were. Um, I mean, painstakingly trying to make sure that we were cultivating an experience that the youth would one find memorable, but very realistic. And it one, I do want to say that adolescents at that age, particularly the ones who are the main ones coming to independent city, 14 to 19 usually, um, are the participants. And this is the time when the part of their brain that says, give me now. So immediate gratification, uh, that part of their brain is fully developed. But the cortex, the one that says, hey, might not be a good idea. Hey, here are the consequences for that. That part of the brain does not finish developing until we're 25. And so it is so interesting, yes, to watch it happen. But it's also interesting for me to watch the adults who forgot that they used to be the exact same way. And so those of us who planned um, and we had so many volunteers come and help, it was also, it was always very interesting to me to see some people who stood back and allowed the experience to happen. You know, we always made sure that there were resources and support people around in case the youth needed anything. We had a, a you know, like a, a room if people got overstimulated. We had, we had a lot of things in place. But how there were so many, well, okay, not let's not say so many, but there were some volunteers who couldn't just let it happen. So you would walk by and see the mass lecture happening 
about what they should and shouldn't do. And we actually had one woman say, so the retail store in the casino, we called Temptation Alley. And there was a woman standing in Temptation Alley, literally trying to drive kids away from it. Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> and it, it, it was, it, it's always really, really fun. So, you know, I just wanted to chime in and say it is such a great experience. What we hear, I feel like every year too, is we need one of these for adults. We need for one adults. of these for adults because people understood watching these young people have to navigate systems and figure it out and make decisions, but then just navigate a system. If you have had to do anything with government, I'm talking about us adults, that it, that can be a hard system to navigate, right? We, we have a tons of resources and skills and we, it's still very difficult to navigate. So I love independent city because you know, it really does provide an opportunity for adults and youth to come together and have this experience on behalf of the youth. So I love that. All right. Yeah, I wanted to respond to something that you had said earlier about how things that happen to us as um, children and how we carry those things forward into adulthood. And what I think we see with the people who are trying to dissuade young people from going to Temptation Alley or who are trying to be like, no, you need to get housing first. Um, Because in the simulation, they're supposed to be able to pick you go wherever you want to go after you get your paycheck and after you get your money, just may start making decisions. And people are like, no, you got to do it this way. You got to do it this way. You got to do it this way. And I think where that comes from is the things that you wish you got, the lessons you wish you had learned. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, that's what's going on for the adults. Um, but we all learned and some of us learn by experience. Some of us learn. You could just tell us one time. It's like, okay, I accept that. And so that kind of came up for me as you talked about the things that happen to us and how that manifests later and how we engage um, with other people, particularly with young people. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And then you were going to tell us the last um, thing, which you talked about a little bit, but. Yes. So the other event that I plan um, every year, and I actually facilitate the planning of because young people plan it it's called young not silent and so young not silent is the former city of cincinnati youth commission of cincinnati's citywide youth summit and so that very long title some young people one day were like uh i kind of feel like that's adults came up with that name that's just so much (laughs) and so we asked them well what would you want it to be called and they um, said, we're young, but we are not silent. And so we were like, oh, okay, that's awesome. And so the event is called Young Not Silent. It has been happening for, I think we're going to be in our seventh or eighth year. I don't even remember how many times now, but it started in 2013. And then Youth at the Center has led the planning and and organizing of it since 2015. Um, So we have what's called the Leadership Planning Committee, and they are young people from across the city. They meet twice a month, and they make all the decisions. What is our theme? What are we going to – we have T-shirts for youth and volunteers. What will the colors be? 
what will it say? Um, our most recent thing was taking the torch. Um, a young person drew the torch and the logo that was on the shirts. They picked the colors. They, um, we trained them to lead workshops. And so they say, this is what I think I should, I should talk to my peers about. And so we helped them do that. And we have about three to 400 young people attend every year. It's a full day from 11 to 7. They attend workshops that they decided that they wanted to have. The people on the committee go back and ask them, hey, what do you want to learn about or what do you want to know about? And so some of the things that they've said, they want to know about healthy relationships. They want to know about how do I um, change, make change in my community? So they want to know about activism and advocacy. They're interested in music. So anytime there's a workshop about how you express yourself or relieve pressure or stress, they love those things. And um, the night ends with a talent show and a dance party. And so we have a really good time and they have such a sense of accomplishment when they are standing on the stage emceeing, um, telling their peers what's up next and just leading beautifully. And so that's Young Not Silent. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing all of those. We'll have an opportunity a little bit later for you to tell people how they could maybe reach out if they have more interest in volunteering awesome. or doing that. Um, I wanted to take a second and um, go back and talk a little bit about how we met. Because there is one very um, consistent thing about Tanisha, and that is if you become friends with her, you will be doing all of these activities, okay? So um, she is definitely a connector and a facilitator, and I'm not going to call her a bully because she does not bully people, but she is very convincing, um, and at a certain point, you 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 feel like she's not asking you to do something. You just realize that's what you're going to be doing. So um, do you remember how we met? Yes, I remember how we met. We met in November 2013 when I started working for Journey. I was I inherited the Cultural Linguistic Competence Committee which was responsible for looking at the activities that Journey wanted to have or decisions that were being made and assessing whether or not they were culturally and linguistically competent, which essentially means are they being mindful of where people are coming from? So if we're we're serving young people with mental health challenges, um, are we speaking to them and communicating information in ways that is accessible. Um, If they, for any reason, would be coming from a background where they didn't speak English, or even if they were, um, their literacy wasn't, they didn't have literacy, for example, we would find ways to kind of provide information that they could receive. So um, that's what the committee was responsible for. And as a new person leading that committee, I wanted to meet the people who were on the committee. And so after the very first meeting where I was introduced, I went to every person and asked them if I could schedule a meeting with them one-on-one. I told them that I would be happy to come to them. And I 
went to many people. The people on the committee, they were, um, they worked for agencies in the, in the community or they worked for youth serving organizations or they were just people who were passionate about young people and wanted to volunteer their time. And so I went and met with every person. I think there were like 12 people on the committee at the time. And LaShonda worked for St. Joseph's Orphanage at the time, which is one of our um, partners. And St. Joseph's Orphanage is on the east side of Cincinnati. As far as I'm concerned, it's very, very, very far. (laughs) And a place that I don't often go. And LaShonda was like, oh, yeah, she'll come to me. Awesome. And so I drive to this faraway land and I meet her in her office. And so I have a list of questions that I want to ask. And I want to say they were probably like seven to ten questions. I ask my questions and then LaShonda answers all my questions. And if you don't know this about LaShonda, LaShonda is a talker. I am a talker. And (laughs) we talked about my questions, which probably lasted for an hour. But then she had questions for me, which was interesting because very few people had asked me about like me, like where I came from and why I was doing this and all of this stuff. And so I want to say she was my longest one-on-one. I think we worked together for three hours. <laughs> and after that time, I was like, oh my God, LaShonda is awesome. And also after that time, LaShonda was like, thank you so much for coming and I will help you in any way that I can. Please let me know how I can help you. And so I just like to accept people's offers of help if I can, particularly when it is for the children. And so I also reject the, the label of bully. I, If I must be a bully, I consider myself to be a bully for good, but I really don't bully people. I just invite people. <laughs> to make wonderful decisions with their time. And it often happens to be for the benefit of young folks. So, yeah, I think we have the same general story. All of the facts (laughs) were, uh, were the same. (laughs) What I do remember, um, (laughs) about when Tanisha came, um, is, you know, I knew she was taking over the committee. And to be fair, I had just recently become a part of the committee not that long ago. And I do remember thinking that I had got thrown under the bus to be a part of this committee, right? It was just the way it happened in my organization is um, Esther (laughs) was part of Journey. And I just remember literally her coming one day and was like, yeah, they need somebody who is going to be... um, on the training committee or something, whatever she said. So yeah, that's going to be you. And I was like, what is this thing? But I do remember when Tanisha came, um, she had her questions, but I feel like I was very honest and transparent about how things had gone previously um, and, and, and how I thought things could be improved. But the part that, you know, that she hit on was that business had long been done and we were still there talking. So Tanisha is one of those people that I instantly knew no matter what happened with the CLC committee or our professional journeys, I knew that in some capacity we were going to be a part of each other's lives. Well, well beyond, um, when, you know, when this was over. And so that I can appreciate as time has changed and progressed with me, with 
you know, having kids and finishing grad school and starting a private practice, my capacity to sit on the committees that I used to sit on um, and have such direct involvement has diminished, but our relationship hasn't. And so I've always appreciated that, you know, Tanisha could call me literally And the question is going to start with, what are you doing on this date? Like, that's how it always starts. What are you doing? Okay, I'm sorry. It does start with a hello. I get a hello. But then it is a, what are you doing on this date? And it doesn't really matter what you were going to answer. Because if you say, oh, I'm doing this. And she'll say, um, I mean, can't you reschedule that? That's not, that's, I mean, is that really that important? Or can't so-and-so, and and, and then she tells you what you're going to be doing on that date. But what I, again, always appreciate is that um, it's all for the kids, you know, and you know that you're going to be making a difference and an impact when you do it. So I just wanted to say I appreciate that. I also wanted this to kind of be a caveat for those who at some point come in contact with you and become friends with you. Um, I feel like, I don't want to call it a warning because it's good stuff, but I just want to let them know what they're getting into. (laughs) Um, Can you tell us a little bit, um, if you would, about this next leg of your journey and how you are continuing to support youth um, as you continue with your educational endeavors? Well, sure. So I... In addition to working for a journey and working um, to build youth at the center, I am a doctoral student at Northern Kentucky University. I will be graduating on May 8th, 2021, <laughs> and I have essentially taken my love and passion for young people with me to academia. So my dissertation that I'm writing will be examining the ways in which the education system enacts violence against black students because it is racist. Um, (laughs) And that's provocative. That's potentially hard for people to hear or recognize But I think that it's important to name the ways in which young people are injured in spaces when they cannot be who they are or who they are is not valued, seen, or respected. And the idea for my dissertation has been informed by all of my interactions with the young people who I encounter on a daily basis as they tell me what has happened to them in schools, as they tell me the ways in which they've been discounted or how the curriculum that they are taught doesn't really celebrate or honor their culture or just how people have done horrible things to them and told them that it was because they were black. Um, Those stories sit in my heart and I want to help them tell them. And so what is next for me is that I will be like LaShonda very soon and have a podcast that allows young people, or not allows, but invites young people to tell their stories and their experiences 
and challenges educators and people in decision make decision making positions to really evaluate how the way their institutions are set up are impacting students and and it's one thing to be able to say like oh we got this many people to graduate or we got this many people to get a job after they were in our building but what has happened to these children while they were in your school building and how does that impact where they're going to go moving forward and so that's what I'm that's what I'm doing that's what I'm saying so I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to talk about racism to people who are doing racist things yes Thank you so much for sharing. I mean, I clearly knew the answer to that, but I wanted other people to know that as well. You know, like I said, you bring people where you're going. And so what I genuinely appreciate is that you are bringing people with you on this journey. And it is, I won't say uncharted territory, because I know that there are some things out there, but where you're going, not a lot of people have gone to not just bring the youth stories to the forefront, which is kind of all the work that you do, but you are very explicitly talking about racism within the education system, a system that all of our youth are required to go through, but was completely not built for them. And so to have to navigate a system that from its inception, from its creation, literally, legally, legislatively was not for these children and to today still isn't, Yet they still have to navigate that with all of the other um, challenges and things that are happening for them. I'm here for it. So I thank you for your bravery and your courage in going into those spaces. Well, thank you. And I I also just want to say that the work that you do connects very much with where I want to go. As a person who works with young people who are experiencing mental health challenges, And with the increase of young people who have completed suicide, you know, what they say to me is they act like this is a life or death thing. Like this, the school is so important and it's just with with everything that's going on, it's not the most important thing. And so as someone who, it specializes in trauma, um, it's really important to me that people understand that racism is trauma. And if we say that we want to be trauma-informed, and if we say that we want to be cognizant of adverse childhood experiences and how that impacts people's health outcomes, we then have to look at the places where young people are and experience trauma on a daily basis but people don't ever name or own that that is a form of trauma. And so um, as someone, as the person in my life who is always talking about trauma and how to be informed by it, um, I think our work connects so beautifully because I want to help people transition to adulthood successfully. I want to help young people navigate systems successfully. And in order to do that, we have to address the trauma on all levels so that young people's outcomes can be the absolute best. Absolutely. And you're, you're right. You know, if you go back to the episode that I did with Ronald Hummins, where we talked about the state of emergency on childhood trauma that we are still 
um, very much active in trying to get um, Ohio to declare um, we talk about that. We have to explicitly talk about racism as trauma because it is. Um, and we don't just want to be trauma informed. We want to be trauma responsive. And we want to make sure that the resources that are necessary are put in place, but also the people who have interactions with these youth on a regular basis are trained with the necessary resources um, to navigate their experiences with youth. And that starts with cultural humility. And that starts yeah. with understanding racism as a trauma, how they have perpetuated it knowingly or unknowingly and benefited from it knowingly and unknowingly. So, yeah, we heavy hitters. I ain't gonna lie. We, we, <laughs> we come with it, but it's necessary. It is so necessary. And, you know, what I genuinely appreciate and I can say it with honesty is that, you know, we do approach the work very diligently, very intentionally. Um, but I think we offer a, a definite amount of grace um, when we are working with people to help them understand that. But it's always about the rightful assignment of responsibility. I say it when I'm talking about developmental and relational trauma, I say it all the time. At this point, it's not about blame and shame, but it is about the rightful assignment of responsibility. And we need people, yes, but we need systems to own their responsibility in the perpetuation of racism and how it is impacting uh, youth who are marginalized. Absolutely. And, um, you know, if systems cannot own, then how do we dismantle systems and rebuild them better? Um, One of my mentors often asks me, um, when I'm citing things or would approach him with um, problems or challenges and he would be like, well, who certified this? And that is something that is at the core of the decisions that I make, especially involving young people and that I want to challenge people to always consider. If we say whatever you say about respecting, serving, helping, whatever, are young people being served by what you're doing? And if not, I think you have to stop. I think you must stop. And so that's what also I think is important. Once we acknowledge and understand that what is what is currently in existence does not serve young folks, how do we stop and then evolve so that we can serve them. Absolutely. Very well put. Thank you, Miss Tanisha. So I always like to start wrapping up by asking my guests to tell us a fun fact or a little known um, piece of information about themselves that just gives us a, a bigger picture of who they are. So what is this little known or fun fact you have about yourself? I don't know if it will give you a bigger picture of myself but what I like to tell people about myself is that I love I'm going to tell you about my favorite animals I have four favorites (laughs) I love turtles I love goats baby goats in particular I love bunny rabbits and I love elephants all of them I think are the cutest 
animals for various reasons. And whenever I see them or see videos of them, like I can get lost looking at videos of these four animals. They are awesome. And I love them so much. That is a very interesting fact. Uh, elephant is my favorite animal. So look at that. I didn't know we had that in common. No, I didn't know that. <laughs> All right. So Tanisha, tell people where they can find you. If you've said something on this podcast that was intriguing, if they want to maybe, you know, reach out to get more information about Ask Me Who I Am, Independent City, or Young Not Silent, maybe how they can volunteer, or just want to connect with you personally, how might people find you? So if folks are interested in Ask Me Who I Am or Independent City, they can send me an email at tworthy at lys.org. If folks are interested in Young Not Silent, they can visit www.youngnotsilent.org or they can visit www.youthatthecenter.org and find my contact information there. And if you want to know more about me or how you can be invited to volunteer or if you want to talk about race and dismantling systems, you can reach me at gmail, tanisha.worthy at gmail.com or on Twitter. And LaShonda will tell you what that is when I let her know. Because I don't remember. Yes. So all of Tanisha's uh, information will definitely be in the show notes. Uh, Tanisha, I want to thank you so much for being with me today, um, for being flexible and creative as we navigate connecting and still giving people this information in the midst of being physically distant. Yes. Well, again, thank you so much for having me. And while I'm here, I would be remiss if I didn't remind people to wash their hands and not to touch their face and to be well during these challenging and unprecedented times. Absolutely. So to all of my listeners, I want to thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of the Labors of Love podcast. Don't forget that if you want to know more information about me and Labors of Love, you can reach my website at www.thelaborsoflove.com. We're on all the major social media outlets. Don't forget we have the Labors of Love YouTube channel where every Thursday we put out a Therapy Thursday video. And don't forget to subscribe, share, and rate uh, this podcast. Give us that five-star rating because we have great guests and awesome material and content. Until we connect again, be well.